Hello, friends, and welcome to the Point of Hope podcast. My name is Steve, and this broadcast is brought to you by the Point of Hope Apostolic Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, where brighter days begin. In today's episode, we are going to talk about hell just a little bit. And uh, leading that study today is the senior minister at Point of Hope, Mr. Stephen Gossage Pastor. Welcome. What can you tell us about this episode, and what can you teach us today? Well, thank you, Steve. I just want to kind of share with you something that's been on my mind lately. And uh, we have been doing these podcasts, and recently we were talking about the realization of hell by popular culture. They are beginning to see that hell is a real place and it is a real thing. And I want to, as a pastor, but really to all of our listeners that are most most likely faith-based, or at least the majority of our listeners are, that while hell is real, there is a way to combat it in our life and in our culture. And I want to discuss a little bit about the, the context from which the thing that to make those things that hell fears. And I, I'd like to be offensive, not sure. defensive. I like to be proactive, not reactive against an enemy, as it were. It's just good. Well, it's dangerous to be reactive, right? I mean, what if I get hit by a bus? Well, anymore. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's over with. Well, man, I can't recant on my deathbed if there's no deathbed. No, I mean. that's exactly right. So there are some things that makes hell fear. And I would like to get into that just sure. a little bit. Sure. It's not going to be very deep, uh, but but I want to just kind of deliver to our listener that that there is something that you can do to make hell fear you and maybe back it off a little bit in your life. Yeah. Now, I don't want to talk about this without using some scriptures, so I want to tell you, if you're listening, go to Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 18. The Bible says, King James Version, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to the disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 through 39, the Bible says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we're not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I was thinking of that story. It was the year 1519, and Hernan Cortez was 600-plus Spaniards, 16 or so horses and 11 boats. They had landed on the vast inland plateau called Mexico. Hmm. This Spanish conquistador and his men were about to embark on a conquest of an empire so that they might hoard some of the world's greatest treasure. Gold, silver, precious oh, yeah. Aztec jewels were just some of what this treasure had to offer anyone who succeeded in their quest to obtain it. But with only 600 men, none of whom, by the way, had encumbered themselves with protective armor of any kind, 
decided that they were going to conquer an empire so extensive in its territories that without armor and little manpower, it could only be undertaken by men with probably what we know as a death wish. But ironically, it would only be three words which Cortez would murmur that would change the history of the new world. And so we know the story. Cortez made one of the biggest decisions of his quest, knowing that he was outnumbered and possibly outmatched. He said, before we march forward, burn the boats. And when he made that statement, he was letting everyone know that there was no going back Mm. to the life that they lived. They could only move forward in their goal. He said, before we march forward, we need to burn the boats because there is no going back. There is no return from whence we came until we succeed in our quest. I say all that to say, let's be clear here. It was a decision that should have backfired, Steve. It should have been something. <laughs> Certainly wasn't a popular one. I bet if you're standing on the beach. No, absolutely. But if Cortez and his men, they decided, he decided, were to ever find themselves on the brink of defeat, there wouldn't be an exit strategy. So they had no choice but to save their own lives. True. And that's all they knew was that fact right there. There's no going back. And remarkably, though, that command to burn the boats had an opposite effect on the men because now they were left with only two choices. We know live or die, die or ensure victory and fight. They did. History tells us that they were men possessed. And we know today how Cortez's decision to burn his boats panned out. Cortez became the first man in 600 years to successfully conquer Mexico. And I pray today in this podcast that the story that I've told you illustrates what I believe that the Holy Ghost is urging us Christians and apostolics to do. It's not about only finding our spiritual center. It's our decision that we're going to go forward, that we're going to engage hell offensively. We need to launch into our spiritual destiny. It's time that we burn the boats of our exit plan from this. Many people in their lives, they serve God with, I'm going to serve him when everything's going right, but if it doesn't, I'm going to try somebody something else. <laughs> yeah. We need as Christians sure. that we just need to make up our mind, come, pardon me, hell or high water, we're going to serve God. And so uh, I, what I'm proposing is that we stand at this latter end of 2023 and we're kind of staring into the abyss as it were Mm -hmm. of 2024 that we need to look into our spiritual future and decide that we need to burn the boats of our past we're not going back that it's high time that we eliminate every avenue of quit or former life yeah that's good from whence we came from and so i believe in the church there's a default of apostolic power i think that People just, they, there's a mindset of quitting anymore. But we forget that we have a connection or an opportunity to connect to the Holy Ghost, that source of power, and utilize the blood of Jesus, as we talked about oh, recently. Yeah. Utilize the Word of God. Utilize the Holy Ghost. And so when there's a lax in morality on a mainstream scale, Steve, and we're not moved and we're not impassioned by the goal that's set before us to win this world, we've 
basically we've been disconnected from the power source. When our church services and our outreach programs, they become stale and mundane and our prayer lives are driven by something else other than God's perfect will, we've, dis- we've disconnected ourselves from that power source. When fornication, adultery, homosexuality, pornography, transgender activity and belief have a conventional acceptance with the church, we've dis- disconnected from our power source. Mm-hmm. When there's a lost and dying generation and we're not moved enough, we're not moved enough to fast, to witness, to pray, we're disconnected from that power source. We're crazy to think that we can have anything akin to an apostolic revival and an apostolic outpouring by not being impassioned like Cortez to sure. reach the goal that's set before us. And I mean, we ought to be apostolic in the Bible way, not in a denominational term. So I submit to you in all of this precept and this few minutes of foundational thought that I'm trying to deliver to us and to the listener, that I believe that there should be a spiritual uneasiness here. We should be uneasy about what we're seeing in mainstream culture right now. We should be bothered that hell is permeating the very spiritual atmosphere that we're in. It's in front of us. It's, in, it's, it's paraded in front of us on our television and our computers and on our radios and all this. And, and all the while, the church just goes about its regular business. And that's not the time that we're called to. The Bible says that we've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so we need to start engaging hell instead of just kind of doing it the way that we think it should be. Why don't we just decide that there are some things that hell fears and that we need to embrace those things? Isn't that, isn't that a struggle today, though? Because sure. so many people want convenient Christianity. Absolutely. And that's what I'm talking about. You yes. Know? So they want, they want to go to church on Sunday. Yes. And then they want to... It, it's difficult when I engage other believers sometimes. And, you know, I just had a conversation with someone in my home yesterday and they looked into that side room where we have the Christmas tree because we were calling it the holiday room. Right. And she says, oh, you still got that up? And I said, yeah, it's, after Christmas this year, we're going to make it a prayer room. And she says, well, what is that? And I said, well, it's just a room where we're all going to pray collectively and we're going to infuse it with prayer. And she says, well, why do you need that? Hmm. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, having a prayer life is not just something that we do at a service on Thursday night. I right. mean, I, I want to pray with my children. And it, it, it goes along with well, why can't I watch that movie? I, I'm, I'm a faithful believer. I, I, I go to church on Sunday. I should go to that yeah. Taylor Swift concert if I want, where they're s- putting out devil's chants all over the marquee. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, right. So how do we combat that with the convenient believer? I mean, is it, is it a problem with my message? Or is it that they're, if they're not, they, they feel like they're, they're doing enough? Mm-hmm. How how do we overcome that? Well, how we overcome that is that we identify what's in front of us first, because we can't know what we're what what we're what we're fighting against if we can't identify the enemy. It's one thing to pick up a sword and know what it can do, but to be able to swing it in the right direction. Now, the devil wants us to fight each other. Hell wants us to fight each other. I don't sure. know if this is making sense, but I think that we need to identify what it is that we need to stand against. And 
What the enemy has successfully done is that he has slowly, gradually, over decades and and centuries of of bringing sin and the the quality of carnality, as it were, to such a level to where it has slid right in, and it's not it's not smacked us in the face, but it's been something that we think, oh, that's just normal. Well, see, and it's the drip. It's the drip. So drip. it's yep. mm-hmm. well, I don't. I mean, you can you can let them do X. That just this time, mm-hmm. I, or I don't. Another one I've heard is, well, I don't see the harm in in allowing them to do this or to do that. And so if 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 I let them do it, 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 my kids will always go another step. So if I let them go to step two, they're going to go to three. And if I let them go to three, they're going to go to four. So at some point, I have to draw a line, right? And I have to say, we're not doing this because we're just not doing it. Period. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Uh, just last night, in in fact, you know, I'm uh, I have a three year old at home, and uh, she had. She, I, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but my wife said to my daughter, "said Now you can't do this outside of our home. You can only do this inside of our home." She was wearing something. Sure. Um, and I said, "Nope, you're not going to even wear it at home." And my wife even asked, she said, not to, not to put my wife down, not at all. But no, not this at is what I was saying. Yeah. She said, well, what's wrong with it being at home? And I mm-hmm. said, because eventually it does. Yes. Why, if I can do it here, then why can't I do it out there? And I don't want them to get so comfortable, even at home, even doing at home. something they shouldn't be doing. Because then when they're at their friend's house spending the night, it well, I, I mean, I do it at home. Right. Like, why not do it? Oh, it's, it's so slippery. The convenient Christianity and the drip are things that I'm battling right now. No, so absolutely. These, this is, you're speaking right. You're in my strawberry patch, as you said the other night. <laughs> right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we need to understand where where is the line. Yes. So that's what I'm talking. Where is the enemy? Who is the enemy? Um, so it's not time to back up in what we believe. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to be get shook up. We need to just recognize all these things. However, I believe instead of being worried about all what hell is doing and all of this different thing, because I'm not big on the boogeyman and and telling about how big and bad Satan is. Sure. Because he's already whipped already done. At Calvary. He's not the he's not the enemy. He's not the greatest enemy to me. My greatest enemy is me. Yes. And so it's not time to get to back up, to give up, to to get shook up. It's time to stand up. It's time to power up. It's time to blow up, as it were, in the Holy Ghost. And so I want to be something that pushes it back against the darkness. Yes. I'm just, that's who I am, and I know I'm not the only one listening, and I know you're not, Steve. Uh, I believe in defending my territory, spiritually speaking, and that's that's what I believe. So I liken what I feel in the spirit to what Timothy wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I believe, no. He said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So while the devil and hell are trying to convince us that he's in control, and that there's no stopping this great tide of hell that's in our culture today, I'm going to tell you that he most assuredly is not in control. 
<laughs> True. And the minority that wants to say in yap, yap, yap loud enough to think that it's control. I want to tell that element, spiritually speaking, you are not in control. The church, when it wakes up, is in control. So the things that hell fears, I'm going to give it to you. The first okay. thing that scares hell right now is a committed child of God. Mm. I believe that there's biblical precedents set in the Bible that secures our understanding that hell is afraid of someone that is committed to the word of God in particular. Mm. I could go into Matthew chapter 4. And I'll just kind of roughly go over the top of it. That every time that the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus used the word of God. Yep. Three times, whenever the devil tempted him, Jesus told the devil, It is written. While the devil was offering what Jesus was already going to get, tempting him with opting out of the process of Calvary. See, that's what the temptation was. That's what. The devil was offering Jesus. He didn't know that Calvary's coming. Don't get me wrong on that. But he was offering, he already knew that who, maybe not directly, but he knew that Jesus was not just some dude. Yeah. All right? He was trying to tempt him to opt out. He was, he was appealing to the flesh of Jesus. I know what you got to do, some kind of ministry, whatever it is. And I'm trying to get you out of the painful process of it. And that's the precedent there that the devil wants you, if he can trick you. This is what I hear as a pastor. People say this, oh, I don't want to do all that. I don't get radicalized spiritually <laughs> because because I'm going to have to fight some devils. Yeah. Well, really? You've got power over that. Yes, and I hear that quite a lot, not just a few. I hear people go, I'm afraid of what's coming. You don't have to be afraid. If you're committed, you're going to win. Hell is afraid of you. Yeah, we're not given a spirit of fear. I mean, how many times does the Bible say, don't be afraid? Boom. Yes, that's exactly right. And so when the child of God decides within themselves to fast and pray, the Bible says even the demons, we, we read about that in the in the text today, that even the demons are subject to our command through the name of Jesus. The disciples couldn't cast out the devils because they thought just knowing Jesus was enough. Mm -hmm. No, you had to have a relationship. It's not, not so religion. When, yeah. So when that old boy came to Jesus and said, my son is grievously vexed with the devil, Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, bring him to me. Yeah. And he cast him out. So Matthew 17 in our text, the disciples couldn't cast out the devils out of the man's son. Jesus came and cast it out. And when they questioned why, Jesus told them of their unbelief. And he further said, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is what he said, you're not committed enough. So you know me, you're here, you're what you're coming to church on Sundays, but it's not enough, right? It's you're you need to be inconvenient. Right, and so what he said, what he what he said in context, I want to give you scripture. He said, "You're not committed enough because only this kind cometh out, but by prayer and fasting." So, if prayer and fasting can cast out a devil, cast out hell, then therefore, if if you can't whip hell, you ain't praying and fasting. In other words, you're not committed. Yeah. And so that's number one. Hell fears you 
saint of God, when you are committed to the word of God, to the house of God, to the mission of God, to everything about it. See, God has tied his will to our prayers. Mm -hmm. God has tied his will and his activity. He's, He's tied his hands to our ability to seek his face. So if we're committed, that's the number one thing that scares hell. The second thing that scares hell, the first one was a committed. The second one is a convinced child of God. Because we can uncover through the reading of the word that hell is subject to those that have a relationship with God. I could even go Old Testament right now. In fact, I can talk about Daniel. The Bible says that when they were captured in Babylon, He said in Daniel 1 and 8, he purposed not to devile himself with what the king ate and drank. And when Nebuchadnezzar cast him into the den of lions, did stop him from praying. He had a relationship with God. He continued to pray. I like the story of the three Hebrew children in the same context in Daniel chapter 3. When Nebuchadnezzar required all of everyone to bow to the image when when the sounding of the trumpet happened, Those three did not. They recognized that they knew that God didn't matter that they were in a Babylon setting. God was still in control. may seem like he's not even around, but oh yeah, he's still around. When they were thrown in the fire furnace, they didn't stop their worship. They didn't stop their praise. They were persuaded even more God was with them in the fire. We know this. And since we know about Daniel... And the three Hebrew children being convinced, even in a Babylon setting, that God was still God. It sets up this scripture right here, found in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. It says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Talking about prophecy. Mm -hmm. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How about New Testament, Paul? He was facing certain capture and imprisonment and death, wrote in Acts chapter 20 and 24. He said, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So I've given you Old Testament and New Testament <laughs> examples of sure. people that were convinced even in the face of adversity. Listen to this interesting fact. I read this not too long ago. 3% of all fresh water in the world is above ground. 3% of all fresh water of the world is above ground. That's it? 3%. And 97% is underground. That means the potential is still below the surface of the person and the people of God. It's something that needs to be discovered cultivated and revealed. I'm telling you, when you become convinced, that means your faith will begin to soar. That means you can, you will believe that God can do exactly what he said he would do in his word. So when we become convinced that the word is true and that there is a God that sits high and looks low, I'm telling you, hell fears you. When we realize that within us is enough to make hell shudder in its Ugg boots, (laughs) (laughs) there'll be no stopping what's inside. You better 
and I better get convinced of who we are and what we are. Sure. How do you tap into that 97% potential in your spirit? I'll tell you, it's good old-fashioned apostolic praying and fasting and mm-hmm. returning the word and do the first thing, being committed. Because when you become committed, then you become convinced. Because that's the only way that comes. Sure. Now, All right, now thirdly. The third thing that scares hell, you've got committed, you got convinced, here you go, a consistent child of God. That's the tough one. When God calls people to serve and to minister as his people, the Bible outlines the prerequisite for proper service. It's not talent or ability. It doesn't matter if you don't or you do have any of those things. It's not the name or your finances. The first thing found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 2, the first thing that God uses says is the prerequisite for service is faithfulness. The Bible says, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So if you can, if you're consistent, if you'll be faithful, look out now because God's about ready to do something in your life in a good way. Because if we're faithful and consistent, God is about us. God has been faithful to us in three ways. He's faithful to forgive sin, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second way he's been faithful to us is that he's been faithful to deliver us, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There hath no temptation taken us, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, that who will not... Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. The third thing that God has been faithful to us is that he has been faithful to protect us from evil. Second mm. Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Amen. Amen. So God mandates that we commit the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to faithful men. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, and I'm almost done. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The three things that hell fears, number one, it's a committed child of God. The second is a convinced child of God. And finally, it's a consistent child of God. It's not the answer to engage and destroy hell in your life. is not some formulaic thing, something so ethereal that that if you send a thousand dollars you can get the hint from smiling Jack down in his <laughs> in Houston. You know it and it's found in just being consistent, committed, right, and convinced. Uh, is there any amount of I mean there's nothing I could do that would make hell just back off, right? I mean, not I not overall, right? I mean, I'm I'm always 
Because I think some people get afraid that they're going to like corner the cat, you know, and the cat's going to engage them even even more voraciously Mm -hmm. because they're cornered. You know, an animal that knows its time is near is is oftentimes more dangerous. But I think that also would lead to why you need to do those things even more so. Sure. Right? So For me, it's like this. If I saw a wild dog and he was threatening, baring his teeth, and he's coming at me, I'm afraid and I'm going to be on my heels. I'm going to be backing up. But if you put that same dog on a leash or behind a fence, he's not so threatening anymore. He could still hurt you, but he's, yeah. That's only if I cross over, if I get too close to it or put my hand over the other side of the fence. Hmm. Think about the devil as that dog. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. When we're consistent, committed, and convinced, we, in effect, put that old boy in a fence, and we put him on a leash, and he's not so threatening anymore. And we don't let him get over our fences to put any of that mess. That's right. So how proximity, how much in proximity we are with hell is by how much we'll get, have the potential to get bit by. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot. You know? Yeah. Don't don't get up to the don't get up to the fence where the dog is. There's no need to get the, you can see what's there. I mean, you know, <laughs> funny story. I sorry, I had to throw this in. You just caused me to think of this. Um, we went to the Grand Canyon back in 2008. I had my in laws and my wife, and um, I'm crazy. I wanted to get right at the edge of yeah. a huge. I mean valley it is and something. i'm like i gotta get this picture yeah <laughs> <laughs> said the famous last words of the the oh, moron yeah. that went over <laughs> no and my wife was going you know she's screaming my name don't get up and i knew that and i knew where my footing was and i and i got close but i thought you know this is really foolish for for something that's very fleeting to say that i got there and i did this some people do that with sin. They think that they they can get so close to the world and, and not get burnt, as it were, or close to hell and not be burnt, and they think that's a badge of courage. It's not a badge of courage. It's a badge of foolishness yeah. when you don't have to. Because it's not like I took pictures of the Grand Canyon from where I stood in my safety, and it still was a beautiful vista. And everybody says, oh, you went to the Grand Canyon. But I thought that I had to have something that was closer to the abyss that validated my my presence there. I mean, pl- apply that right now. Yeah, that's good. And so uh, you don't have to. You you're in this world, but you don't you don't have to be of this world. Yeah. We're here, and uh, we need to stand up for who we are, and we need to embrace. Uh, who we are in God and and stand up because there are people that are wanting what we have and we think, oh, they don't want it. Well, I'm telling you, people are looking for something that's real, something that's consistent, something that's convinced, something that's committed. And that makes hell afraid. Yeah. And we really have all the power. We really do. We really do. And it's already given to us when already we receive the Holy for. Ghost. Yeah when we have the word, when we have the blood, when we have the name. And all he does is tempt us. And depending on how we allow the flesh to be dominant in the situation is dependent upon how much hell has victory over us. Mm. So if we say, if we don't give him that room, 
because we know if we give an inch, he takes a mile. Mm-hmm. If we don't give him that room, then there's no mile taken ever. So why do we? Why do we, why do we allow that inch? Hmm. So let's not do it. Yeah, let's, let's be convinced. Let's yep. be committed. Let's, let's be everything that we need to be consistent. And so if we're like that, when we get like that, and there's nothing in this world anyways that should make us want to, to be aligned with hell on any level. There's certainly nothing greater than eternity with your creator. So nothing that, is worth risking that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, and that's all the time we have for this episode today. I pray this was a blessing for you and that you will join us as we continue to study God's Word. You can find this and all our episodes at pohpodcast.com, along with links to your favorite streaming platforms, or search for Point of Hope Podcast on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe, enable, no, uh, enable notifications, <laughs> and share, share, share. We'll just so edit that out. Don't, no, okay. We don't edit anything oh no (laughs) if you have any questions or comments concerns cares want to share some whimsy let us know how this has changed you then we're available pohcontent at gmail.com and we will respond on air so thank you pastor for leading us today and thank you all for listening that's good stuff it's catchy